You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you. This room's always interesting because it's so wide, and it's about to get wider. September 12th, we're going to be opening up a little bit more space in here. So mark your calendars. We're going to go uh, to two services, 9 and 1045. We'll have about a 40% increase in seating space, so that'll be, that'll be awesome. Uh, our kids' space is opening up, too. Our campus development projects are moving forward. So last week, we finished a lot of our demo work, and that was exciting to see that. And so uh, we're moving ahead with construction. So that, that's the last and the largest existing building on our campus, and so thank you for giving towards that. And more good news is, is Valerie Robertson joined our team with North Valley uh, Coordinator, uh, so check her out. She's an awesome gal. Um, and so we're excited to have her on the team, her, her husband, and uh, her kids have served in our church, wonderful people. Uh, so make sure you say hi to Valerie. She's a wonderful uh, lady, and we're great to, grateful to have her on our team uh, serving the kids. Uh, as well, I want to share with you an update, uh, not next weekend, uh, uh, but the following week in September 12th on our students' uh, uh, position. So we're, we're getting close. We've got some great uh, things ahead of us for our student ministry and want to share with you about more about that on September 12th. That's going to start a new series as well. We're going to be c- continuing on in the Gospel of John, but we'll rename it another series, uh, theming it Venture. Uh, the Christian life is a risky life, and so it's going to be a, a fun journey through the Gospel of John. And so we're going to uh, have a lot of fun with that. Well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into God's Word, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for every man, woman, and child that are on our campus. We pray for your work uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the truthfulness of Scripture, and uh, just the uh, fellowship of believers to do some kind of incredible work here today in our hearts. Uh, We want to see more things happen in our church to make a greater difference in our world. And Father, we want to start with asking you to do a great difference in us. So we pray in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. amen. Well, we're continuing on in a series called Truth for Life, and so today what I want to do is kind of help you grasp uh, uh, the concept of the importance of grace and truth. Let's say grace and truth together. Today we're going to talk about grace and truth. Okay, and my guess is, is some of you tend or trend towards more gracious lifestyles than more truthful lifestyles, and you and I know we probably need a blend of the two. We need grace and truth. When it comes to the Gospel of John, the last part of this little prologue that we've been reading in, just the first, you know, 15, 18 verses or so, um, the, 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 the Gospel writer John talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth. My concern is, is that we've got a lot of grace kind of people and a lot of truth people, and we're going to need a blend of the two. So three kinds of people in the world. There's the all about grace people. There's the all about truth people. And then there's the all about grace and truth people. So what I want you to do for the next 10, 15 minutes or so is we're going to spend time talking about these uh, kind of people. And uh, you're going to see yourself perhaps in one of these categories. And uh, on a good day, you're going to go all in um, to the grace and the truth side. Uh, But perhaps on a bad day, you're going to be either graceful or truthful And so we're going to jump in to see the good and the bad and the ugly of being any of these kinds of people. 
Um, so number one, the all about grace people. We'll leave this up there. You think about this a lot. Uh, so number one is the all about grace people. These are what I call the grace givers of life. Uh, they're fun to be around. They're the nice guys, the, the nice ladies, the folks that are just nice. They're fun to be around. They're super gracious. Uh, they have Christian friends. They have non-Christian friends. They've got Mormon friends, Muslim friends. It doesn't matter. They've got friends. And uh, they're super gracious, gracious people. They're super flexible, laid back. Uh, nothing really ruffles their feathers. Raise your hand if you know any of those gracious kind of people like that. Raise your hand. Okay. And so these are people that are fun to be around. Maybe you're one of these folks. Uh, they don't get too upset. They're not very easily offended. They focus more on relationship than rules. Uh, when it comes to parenting, uh, they like to focus on the relationship and the fun. Um, when it comes to marriage, um, they're the first to probably say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Because they know that they mess up all the time too, so they're going to need this law of reciprocity to work out. So it comes around, goes around, so they're going to want to say, hey, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. And they know they've been forgiven because they know that they've messed up. Gracious people can say, I'm sorry. Um, they forgive others. And when it comes to church, these are great people. I hope all of us are grace givers. Um, they welcome newcomers. They spend time with the folks that are far from God and they're comfortable talking about the grace of God. And they like to say things like, God loves you. God loves you. And, and they're just gracious kind of people. They're fun to be around. Um, but being a grace giver isn't always a, a good thing if truth loses its place in the life of the grace giver. If truth doesn't have a strong foundation in the life of the grace giver, then some trouble can really take place. When we're all about grace and not about truth, there's trouble because grace givers, they actually know very little about truth. They have a hard time knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong because they camp out and live in a gray world. No, no uh, polar opposites to them. So they oftentimes don't know the Bible very well. They don't understand um, theology very well. They all about grace, little about truth. Uh, they get, can get in trouble. Um, they make mistakes in their marriages, uh, marriages over and over again and keep saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then the spouse gets frustrated and say, why don't you wake up and get with it and face the truth? You're messed up and you're not changing. And then they're going to claim grace again. So... When it comes to confrontation, these people avoid it like the plague. They don't, they're, they're not hard on people, and they expect people not to be hard on them. The problem is with people that are all about grace and not about truth is, is listen, you never know where you're at with these people. You never know if, because they don't want to tell you the truth, because they're afraid that if they tell you the truth, you might reject them, or you might be offended, and they don't want to be seen as judgmental, critical, or rude, or whatever, so you never know really where you're at with the all about grace people. Um, they often fear telling you the truth because they don't want to be judgmental or rude. You don't really know what they're thinking, feeling, because they just tell you what you want to hear. These are oftentimes been called the people pleasers. Raise your hand if you've ever been guilty of people pleasing. Raise your hand. Yeah. And, and oftentimes the grace givers of the world, they they can be people pleasers at times. When it comes to work, it can get really messy if they're all about grace. Uh, bosses who are the all about grace folks, they have a hard time dealing with underperformers. Uh, they don't want to tell it like it is. 
they want to just keep letting them kind of move along and they're underperforming, 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 and they're trying to extend more and more grace. When it comes to employees being the all about grace folks, they have a hard time communicating what really went wrong because they don't want to offend anybody. And so we've looked about the all about grace people and there's, it's great to be about grace. But if you're all about grace and you don't have very much truth in your life, there's some serious trouble. So let's look at now the all about truth people. These are the truth tellers of the world. They're going to tell you like it. Help me out. They're going to tell you like it is. And I like being around truth tellers because they tell me like it is. I know what they're thinking because they just told me what they're thinking. And so I never know, I never have question, is this, what's this person feeling? What's this person thinking? Because they'll tell you like it is. And so the truth tellers are oftentimes, they love to learn, they love to read, they study the Bible, they can share it with others, they read reports, they pay attention to the details, they crunch the numbers, follow the facts, they lead with their head, not as much with their heart. They're, they're, they're thinking up here all the time and they're making decisions based on intellect versus emotion. Um, the truth, the folks that are all about truth, uh, they, they, uh, they've got a, a great impact in the church too. They're the evangelists, the Bible teachers, the, the volunteer leaders that help improve the systems to make everything better. Um, they don't have problems with course, uh, uh, course correction, reproof, approval. That's all in their wheelhouse. They're not afraid for feedback. Oftentimes when you criticize these folks, um, they will take that criticism and make themselves better uh, because they're all about the truth and they want the truth. Uh, in the workplace, truth tellers are often the high performers. Uh, they get to work on time, keep their word. They keep the rules. Um, employees perform usually better when they're all focused on the truth. Uh, they're and the supervisors and business leaders, the managers, they don't have any problem dismissing poor performers. They hold everybody accountable. Uh, they reward the higher performers based on their performance. These are the people that are all about truth. At home, though, the truth tellers, they're rule keepers. They keep all the rules. They've got a schedule. They've got a calendar. They may even have a graph. They've got chore charts. Everything has got a place. Everything is very systematic. For the babies, they get nap times. They get special things. Uh, there's rewards and incentives. Uh, in the marriage, truth tellers deal with the conflicts head on, and they outline and, and try to fix it real fast. But the problem is, right, with, with the truth tellers of the world, the folks that are all about truth, is that it's difficult if they are sharing the truth, but they're not doing it in love. And so when there's a, 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 a lack of, of love and grace, then these folks can become very, very rigid and hard to be around. Uh, the, the folks that are all about truth in life usually have a higher IQ, and the folks that are all about grace usually have a higher EQ. They just, they can work in, in with people groups and they're fine and they've got good social skills. The, the, lot, the truth tellers of the world, they seem to be smarter in a lot of ways. But it doesn't mean it's necessarily better in all, in all things. So the, the challenge is, is the problem is, is when truth tellers of the world, they don't have grace and it loses its place, I would say that they become dangerously suspicious of becoming what's been called accidental Pharisees. 
These are folks that have a great head knowledge. Uh, They're written about in the New Testament in Jesus's day. And the Gospel of John, he's writing to help kind of curb, I think, some of the pharisaical, all head knowledge, no heart knowledge, um, the judgmental, the hypocritical mindset that can happen with believers sometimes. And he's writing to help curb that. Um, When there is no grace in the truth, uh, the folks that are all about truth, they can become legalistic. They focus on rules more than relationship. They intentionally or unintentionally uh, kind of exclude others, creating the holier-than-thou culture. Uh, They kind of have them versus us or or whatever. They use big words in Christianese uh, that only Christians can understand, and they they kind of become uh, 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 very legalistic in in regards. Um, They can exclude people. And they try to protect the church that outsiders don't come in if you're all about truth but not about grace. Let me tell you an example of this. We had a guy attending our church uh, several years ago. He got into some serious trouble. His uh, story was all over the news. It was a pretty controversial situation. Uh, This person had already been attending our church. Uh, He was a, a new believer, got baptized in our church. And then all of a sudden, he's all over the media. So you can imagine of a church of our size, that's just pretty difficult. So he shows up in a church service. I told him, I want you to come to church. I don't know all the details about your story, and I can't pick a side right now. But I can tell you, you can come here and learn about Jesus and the Bible. And just this is a place that you can belong to. And we'll walk you through. And let's pray together for God's justice on the situation. So he shows up very reluctantly, comes to church, very scared. I said he didn't have anything to be worried about. He comes to our church service, said it was an amazing time. He felt God's presence and power, his grace. And then he walks outside, gets in his car, and there was a note that said, you don't belong here. And uh, I don't know who wrote that note. I don't know the details of this man's story. But I do know as a church, we've got to be a place of grace. We've got to be a place of grace where people... Um, we're more focused about them understanding what it means to belong to Jesus Christ more about their behavior. And if the church becomes a place where you better behave before you can belong, then we've lost, definitely grace has lost its place. Now, again, I can't pick sides on the situation. And all I said is let's pray for uh, God's justice in the matter. But no one deserves a note like that because none of us are God and fully know all the details. And what we can do accidentally is accidentally trend and tend towards truth in our lives far more than grace in our lives because we think we were saved by grace. So now let's just get on with it and live in the truth. And we're forgetting that grace is supposed to be with us all the days of our life. And it totally messes up the culture. Uh, Don't get me wrong. We can't be a church that's all about grace and ignore the truth because then what we do is we just turn around and hand out a license to sin and say, sin all you want. (laughs) You know, go for it. Get drunk tomorrow night. Have sex with whoever. God's grace abounds. I mean, literally within church history, there's this episode called the, uh, the celebration of the chestnuts. And it was basically these crazy Christians that said, you know what? God's grace abounds so we can have drunkenness and orgies and God forgives us because we're elect, we're predestined, it doesn't matter, nothing we can do will ever take away our salvation, and they lived like hell and expected heaven. I'm not saying we do that. I am saying, however, if grace loses its place, we've moved far away from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
So don't get me wrong. We got to have a balance between grace and truth in life. And you tend or trend towards one area or another. And what I would say is Jesus says, no, it's got to be all of it. You need to be full of God's grace in your life. And you better be full of God's truth in your life. It's not either or, it's both and. Amen? Okay. So let's look at the passage. I'll read through it uh, and then we'll walk through it. Verse 14, the apostle uh, John, Jesus is like best bud, his best friend is writing about Jesus laying down critical theological uh, gospel truths about who he is and uh, And so you get it. So you get what Christianity is all about. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, help me out, full of, read it. There you go. So Jesus is full of it. Full of grace. Jesus made friends with all sorts of sinners, drunkards, uh, tax collectors. He was full of grace, but he was always full of truth too. The woman uh, at the well, when she was uh, living a life of licentiousness and in all sorts of affairs, and uh, Jesus ministers to her, and to be seen with her would have been scandalous. Jesus is with her, loves her, leads her, encourages her, and then tells her to leave her life of sin. Grace and truth, okay? Verse 15, uh, the apostle John writes about John the Baptist and says this, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Uh, what he in essence means is, is that, um, that Jesus is, uh, came after him because John's ministry started before Jesus's. Uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was telling about uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then when Jesus shows up at the scene, Jesus opens up the scroll uh, in Isaiah in the synagogue and says, behold, the sovereign Lord of the spirit is upon me today. This has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the kingdom of God was at hand in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is the forerunner. The preacher saying, prepare the way. Then uh, Jesus shows up and John says, He's after me because he started later than me, but he ranks before me because he's preeminent. He's above all things. He's bigger than me. I'm not God. He's God. Jesus is Lord. And then he goes on further and says, because he was before me. So what what the heck is he talking about? What he's saying is he's before me because Jesus was eternal. Little baby in Bethlehem, that's not when Jesus just came into being. Jesus was absolutely eternal. Bethlehem was just taking on the flesh, putting on the flesh, but Jesus eternally existed. So John lays that out one more time, just a summary of what we've already repeated. And then he goes on in verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And what that means is in the, in the Greek is it means like a, like a tidal wave after over and over and over again. You get grace after grace after grace. When you go to California, the coast of California, and you see those waves coming in, be reminded of God's grace. If you were to go there in the uh, 10 years from now, waves would be coming in. If you were to go back in time 100 years ago, those waves keep coming in. And so what do you have? You have standing on the seashore, standing on the shore of your life, God's mercy and power is deeper than any sea that could ever be there. His grace comes in on you. 
day after day, night after night, no matter what's happened in your life, God's grace is there, and you need to know God loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. That's what John's trying to say. And then he says this, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is the Father's side, he has made him known. Just a couple of things that you need to know about this passage, uh, biblically, theologically, and then we're going to go into better practical application. Number one, you need to know that grace and truth are essential for salvation, When you read grace in the New Testament or you read truth in the New Testament, they're together. They're not separated. You can't just be the truth teller and and dismiss grace. If you are Christian, you must be, you must seek to be full of God's grace and full of God's truth. So first, we can understand, we, we cannot, you need to know, we cannot understand God's grace without knowing the truths about God. You, you can't experience God's grace without knowing some pretty fundamental things. Jesus Christ is Lord. Mankind, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So fundamental truths about Christianity, like Jesus forgives sinners, These are truths that reveal and open the door for God's grace in your life. Does that make sense? So you have to have truth if you're to understand God's grace in salvation. Once we understand the truth, we can experience the saving grace of God in salvation. Secondly, we cannot understand God's truths without experiencing God's grace. Because Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Freedom. I want freedom. You want freedom. So salvation is essential to understand you have to have grace. You have to have truth. We cannot understand God's truth apart from experiencing God's grace. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it, in other words, that uh, there, uh, we are saved by God's grace. And our salvation means there was a God-ordained rescue operation for you and me, and he didn't come for you because you were so winsome, amazing, and wonderful. No, he came for you. He came for me because we were absolutely wicked, uh, distraught, in need, and we needed rescue. That's why he came. So that is a very gracious move on God's end. I can't believe he chose me, and I definitely can't believe he chose you. My point in saying is that our salvation is all about God's grace, man. And so that's hope for all of us is that if he can save me, he can save you. He can save all sorts of people. So in conclusion, there is no salvation without grace and truth. You cannot have one without the other. But sometimes, sometimes, right, we let grace lose its place and we tend or we trend towards all about truth. Here's the problem. Why does that happen? I think it happens as a believer because you experience salvation as a believer. You say, God's grace is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then what happens is you say, let's move on with it and learn about the truth. And so truth is very, very much easier to deal with because you're like, read the Bible. The Bible's truth. Okay. Now grace, how do I do that? So we tend and tend towards truth 
And we think the more we know, the more we grow. And while that is true, um, what happens sometimes is we favor truth over grace in Christian churches around the country. Here's the big problem I see from a cultural standpoint. We're in a post-truth culture. We're not post-modern anymore. We're actually post-truth. So truth doesn't even matter to the unbeliever. Truth does not play its bounds like it used to. So if we as Christians care about truth far more than grace and we're trying to witness in a world where nobody cares about truth, we will be on the losing team. Not our church. Not any church, not any Christian that says, no, 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 it's not all about truth. It's about truth and grace. I think grace is going to be the winner. I talk to families all the time. I tried to tell my kids to straighten up and get with it and go with it. I'm like, how's that working for you? They're like, well, they ran back. They ran ran further away from me than ever, and they never return my calls now. I guess I alienated myself with them. I'm like, why don't you try grace? Grace opens up the door. So my concern is, is let's not let grace lose its place. Number one, if you let grace lose its place in your life, here's what's going to happen to you. Pride's going to set in. And pride is like God's number one hate list. He hates pride. Pride is, is this. It's when we think way too much of ourselves and too little of God in others. Pride says uh, they're lost, they're gone, who cares? God can't deal with them. God can't save them. God can't save me from this situation. I got to handle it myself. Uh, Pride is not always a bad thing. Pride could be a good thing in some realms. Like you could be proud of the way you work and you got a good work ethic or your kids crushing it at school or your friends or, you know, you're being a really good friend group and holding each other accountable. Like pride, there is some positive sides of pride. And the apostle Paul even says in the church in Corinth, hey, there's some believers that are doing good and I'm proud of them. But this pride that I'm talking about, this is the bad pride. The pride that says, uh, thinks way too much of yourself and too little of God and others. Uh, Pride that's sinful is when you think that you're just, in a sense, you've got it and you don't need to consult God. Uh, Most of the time in the Bible, pride is a very negative thing. Just a few incidences where it's uh, a positive thing. Uh, God hates pride. Um, On the top of his uh, hate list is number one in Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, if you're a note taker, outline maker. Uh, Number one on his hate list is that he hates pride. Number two, he hates liars or lying. I'll say liar, lying. And then he hates number three, murder. Those are his top three. That's what he hates. Pride is number one. So what that tells me is if there is a ranking system of what God hates, which I think uh, Proverbs seems to tell us there is, then that, what that means is God f- hates far more the me mentality than he does the murder. And I think, why is that? Why would God hate uh, a me mentality, a prideful, arrogant uh, side of sin far more than murder? I'll tell you why. Because I think pride is the mother sin that gives birth to all the other sins. Because the second you start thinking, I am bigger or better than God, I don't need God, you elevate yourself, you demote Jesus from king and make him your errand boy. You say, I got this, I don't need that. This is the very first sin that happens in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They think they got it. They don't need God. Uh, Pride is like a sneaky little creature. I got a dog named Lulu. 
This dog is a very beautiful looking little dog. She's been with us for a very long time. My daughter loves this dog, but Lulu is sneaky. When we're not looking, Lulu jumps up on the table and grabs our dinner. The other day, I bought a pizza for my kids. And guess who ate the whole pizza? And then it makes for a terrible cleanup on day two. (laughs) Pride is a sneaky little creature. Pride starts in the heart. People don't see it. Look what Jesus said in Mark's gospel. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. It starts in the heart. All these things are evil. They come from within. It starts in the heart. Here's what the Apostle James said. The Apostle James says that God opposes the proud. Let's look at that passage from the Apostle James. He says that God opposes the proud. And what this word means is that uh, oppose is literally a military term to take a strong military battle-like plan against it. So this isn't gentle language. And James, by the way, is writing to a bunch of religious good people that are really good and do a lot of good things. And what James is saying is God opposes that. And and to me, I'm like, man, we've got enough opposition in the world. We, we, We fight with ourselves oftentimes. I mean, we are our greatest enemies in so many ways. Then we got other crazy people out in the world creating drama and trauma for us. The worst thing we could do as a believer is get God against us. I don't want God against me. So that to me, that, that I like, he hunt me down and find me. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So how do you get more humble? I think it looks like this. It looks like you start using your Bible as a mirror. You take your Bible and you say, speak to me, God, show me the good, the bad, and the ugly in my life. Oh, look, that's good about me. I'm reading that. Oh, that's bad about me. I'm Lord, help me. You use the Bible as a mirror, not as some binoculars to be able to look at other people and go, man, I see you. Dude, you got some issues in your life. You, girl, uh-uh. That, that, that thing, we know that's wrong. Oh, you? Yeah, I've seen you before. Yeah, I know where you were last night. Yeah. How about you? Oh, you constantly prideful, arrogant. Yep. I call it the uh, diagnosed with the elbow syndrome. You're sitting in church and you're like, mm, that was good. Did you get that? We need to talk about that. This message is for you. <laughs> That's when you start using the Bible as binoculars and not as a mirror. How do you get humble? You start saying, God, you speak to me. Every message that's ever preached, every song that's ever sung. It's not for my kids. It's not for my friends. It's for me. When I walk into a church service, I have to say, Lord, let me help flip the switch. Will you help me do this? I don't want to judge and critique everything in the service. I just want you to minister to me right now. Because the same grace that you need is the same grace I need. And so we better start with that. Number two, if you don't, if grace loses its place in your life, legalism leads you to believe that's Everyone should create extra rules and regulations for Christian living. 
When you get legalistic, you get hyped up on truth, you forget about grace, and you start thinking you better create some extra rules so you can live a holy life. And it, what it does is it's like, it's like fences. It builds fences around issues and situations. And you, you end up keeping people out. When God's called us not to build more fences, he called us to build more bridges. And the church needs to be like a bridge for people, not a fence. And so in the history of the world, the most legalistic people were in Jesus' day. They were the Pharisees. I think there's a little Pharisee in you. I think there's a little Pharisee in me. I don't want that Pharisee. Pharisees were the, the, the people all jacked up on truth, super strict religious, cultish-like sect within Judaism. They really uh, tried to keep the law. They had 613 laws that they uh, tacked up all together. And the gospel writers point them out as basically as Jesus' numero uno uh, enemy. Because they were hypocrites, they had a, what I would say is they had a lip service, but they didn't have life service. So they could, walk, they could talk the talk, but they couldn't walk the walk. Does that make sense? Uh, legalism can be very troubling in the church. Legalism is basically you're just creating a bunch of extra rules. Old school legalism looked like, you know, um, people were upset if you had like a, a beer in your fridge and they were uh, in the churches of old. Uh, if you had alcohol or you danced or you smoked, uh, then, then they cared far more about that than what was inside your heart. Uh, new school legalism is different. They, they don't care what's in your fridge. That Now new school legalism uh, cares about what's in your driveway. And then perhaps even condemn you because you have too nice of a house, you have too nice of a car, you have a nice clothes, whatever. Many circles within Christianity today is they're just changing the standards and creating all the rules, adding to it, building more fences. So I'll name out uh, just some, a few, but I see in today's culture is, um, I would call it first is the radical Christians, and they tend to see, uh, this isn't in your notes, but I'll just talk about different tribes in today's Christianity. The radical Christians are the ones that are all in for God. And every time you spend time with them, they're like, do you feel God's presence right now in your life, man? And you're like, yeah, I do a little bit. Yeah. They're like, can you feel it like me? And you're like, oh, I, I hope so. You know? And then they're like, man, if you don't feel the intensity of God, you know, to give away all your money, why are you wearing that watch? You could donate that to the missions organization. You're like, whoa, he's radical. But then what they can do is go, everybody doesn't live like me. They're just, they're weak Christians. You take the radical Christians and you have folks in our today's time, they're, they're the uh, gospel-centered Christians. These are the folks that they're so educated. They're very smart. They love to read uh, church history. They love the John Calvins, the, all the Johns, the John Pipers, the Martin Luthers, the John Edwards. And they kind of loathe the pragmatic topical preachers and teachers. And they say, oh, I only subscribe and listen to people that teach the pure word of God. Verse by verse, book by book. You're like, dude, you're building a tribe. Like, can't God use all sorts of kinds of preachers and teachers? Like, so, or there you have the missional Christians, the folks that they, they hate the traditional church, the big buildings, the big budgets, and they move downtown and open a soup kitchen. And they're like, I serve Jesus every Sunday, man. That's what I do. Where two or three are gathered and he is there with us. And they don't like buildings or big budgets and they kind of like critique everybody else. 
So then you have the organic Christians, the Christians that they don't like church at all. They hate the big buildings and they meet in the homes. And oftentimes the organic Christians are the ones that got burned. So they do church at home. And every church that doesn't do it like they do it, they're wrong. And they fight the organic movement in Christianity, fights organization and says, the business world creeped in and changed the whole church. And now we have to be organic, not organizational. I'm like, who is creating all these rules? It's legalism. So take one example when it comes to where is it okay, though, to build a fence and say, this is important. God says, don't do this. This fence is worth keeping. That's what we want to keep. Just take one example. Out of Exodus 2014, Bible clearly prohibits adultery, right? Like, thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't go uh, fornicate. Don't go have sex with your, another a woman or another man outside of your marriage. That's offense. Don't cross it. Should we have offense there? Yes. But what do Christians do? Hmm. Well, we need more fences than that one fence that God said. So we need another fence because Jesus said, okay, if you look lustfully after another woman, I tell you in your heart, you have already committed, help me out, adultery. So therefore, if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Therefore, in our household, nobody can watch R-rated movies. And every Christian that does watch R-rated movies with some scantily scenes in them, they're probably not as devout as we are. And our girls, they could never wear a bathing suit and definitely not a bikini because we don't want anybody falling into lust and then therefore committing adultery. Do you see how many fences got built right there? You see how that can go? You can put that in anything. You could put that on Halloween. You could put that on Christmas. You could put it on alcohol. You could put it wherever. Here's my point. If God builds the fence, keep that the fence. If you need an extra fence, Build an extra fence in your yard. But the second you start telling every other Christian they better build fences in their yards because that's the way God does it, then here's what you've done. You've added to the word of God and grace loses its place and you become a truth Nazi, but only by your own accord. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't add or subtract from the Bible. Don't add or subtract from the Bible. Don't add... Don't add or don't subtract. Let the Bible be the Bible. If the Bible builds a fence on an issue, that's, your, that's, that's the fence that God has for every person on the planet. If you need an extra fence, you build an extra fence. But if you come into the church and say, we need to build all these fences around here in these areas that I'm concerned about, then what I'll tell you is I'll take my truck and I'll run over that fence. Because it's an addition to the scriptures. This is how you have uh, different cults. They add to the scriptures or they subtract from the scriptures. Every cult group that you see, they add or they subtract. So what does the Bible say? In Deuteronomy 4.2, it says, You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. Listen, so here's, here's the problem. The problem is, is that in churches, oftentimes, is we build far too many fences and we keep way too many people out. 
But when you get to heaven and I get to heaven, I think you're going to be like, ah, dang, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you got in. That is the kingdom of heaven. And so the more fences you build, the harder it is for people to belong to our church, know and follow Jesus. So be careful when you build a fence. Don't build it into common areas like the church or in other Christian circles. Build it for your home. Build it for your life. But don't look down on somebody else that didn't build a fence. Because there is this theological phrase, Google it later if you want to, or read a book on it called Christian Liberty. God gave you a conscience. God gave you the Bible. Read it and just follow what it says. Number three, I would say, is if we let grace lose its place and we are subject to exclusivity. And this is when guarding the sheep becomes more important than expanding God's kingdom. Exclusivity is basically, it's like uh, you're trying to build your holy huddle. You keep other people out. You're, you're, you think about, you know, I want to uh, protect uh, the, the sheep are in Scripture, a reference to believers. But if we do this, if grace loses its place at our church, then we think more about guarding the congregation, the church members, rather than expanding God's kingdom. And what I will tell you is Jesus Christ himself put into jeopardy the sheep just after one lost person. Let me read to you this passage out of uh, Luke's gospel. He records these events. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They're complaining. The religious people grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, he's all about grace and he's all about truth. So he tells them a parable. And he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I've found my sheep that was lost. Verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. My point is, is if we're not careful, we will think our job is, as a Christian, is to guard the sheep. Guard the sheep. Don't venture out. Don't go out there and grab that one. If Jesus was telling this parable, what he's in essence saying is, He's the shepherd. He is, in a sense, creating a vulnerability for the sheep because a wolf could come because there is no shepherd. But here's what you need to know about the sheep. When they're in a big herd, they help each other out. And so here's what we have to remember. Uh, God's called us to high levels of grace and truth in our life. And we need to remember God's rescue operation, that we can never become more about guarding the, the sheep than it than comes to expanding God's kingdom. So this ought to be a place where you're like, man, I can't believe that person's at church. I'm so glad they're at church. Be the grace giver and say, hey, man, I'm really glad you're here. Let me tell you about how God's been changing my life. How's he working in your life? Rather than, oh, you see him? I saw him at the club last weekend. I do. 
I'm just saying, we've got to figure out that grace can never lose its place. So my encouragement to us as a church is let the gospel message be heard from the north to the south, to the east, to the west, from the burbs to the barrios, our message ought to be Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of all. From the, on a nationwide level, we need to remember from the White House to the jailhouse, Jesus is Lord. In corporate America, from the boardroom to the classroom to the living room, Jesus is Lord of all. Why is this? The Bible says that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what the Bible says. The apostle uh, Paul said this to his protege, what this word means, Jesus came into the world. The word is cosmos. The word cosmos actually means the inhabited earth, the inhabited place of people. So Jesus came to save people. And if we, as believers, allow grace to lose our place, then we don't care about people. We care about our tribe. And that's not at all what God has for us. So let us be a people that are filled with God's grace and filled with God's truth. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would be full of grace, full of truth in this church, in the generations to come. And uh, we look to you, Jesus, as the perfect example of that. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.